Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. Hockey, yeah. yeah. My favorite. It's Judd's Hockey Show. All right, welcome into a, a special edition of Judd's Hockey Show. I'm joined by uh, our friend Jess Myers from The Rink Live, longtime observer of uh, puck in this state and, and a good friend of a former Gopher hockey coach and, of course, Minnesota hockey legend Doug Wu, who passed away on Saturday at the age of uh, 75 and just let's just start there with the fact that doug you know beyond being a great all-america player with the golfers beyond being an incredibly successful high school coach at south st paul where he also played and beyond his success uh as the golfers coach for 14 years at a time when golfer hockey meant everything here uh it was the big show it was it was it was the big hockey absolutely show. the thing about doug that struck me is to this day, everybody's got Woog stories. So it's, but it's incredible because you think about how far he went in coaching, how successful he ultimately was. And, you know, now we live in such a corporate sports world, right? Right. Guys who have character try not to be characters uh, because they don't want to be like that. And Doug was a guy who, as uh, Patrick Royce wrote in the Star Tribune obit that he did on Doug, had his name in the phone book during his entire coaching right. career. And you, of course, have tons of stories about Doug. But just how how does it strike you that Doug walked that balance between being an incredibly successful coach, but also being a character in the good sense? In in one way, you know, it really was a different era, and it's not that long ago. I mean, think I about was it. Say, it's weird. Tw- to say Twenty five, when... thirty years ago, but pre social we were media, old then, right? Right. <laughs> pre social media, you know, it was an era where. You know, if you were in the college hockey media, which has always been kind of a, a small group, it's not the college basketball media or or bigger groups like that. So it's always been a lot of people that you see a lot, a lot of people that you know. The coaches had a different level of, I want to say, trust and a different level of openness. And Doug Woog was definitely part of that where, you know, I always joked that you would see a controversial call on the ice. You would interview the coach after the game and get the official comment on that controversial call. And then 45 minutes later at a nearby pizza place, yep. you would sit with the coach and you would get the behind-the-scenes story with an understanding that none of it was on the record, that they could trust you. Um, you know, It was not uncommon for, for coaches to go out afterwards, have a beer, interact with fans. And, you know, truly in the era of social media, I think that's gone forever. You know, we've seen uh, extreme cases like Larry Eustachie when he was at, uh, at Iowa State, you know, out, out partying with fans and got himself in trouble on social media and things like that. I, that era is just gone. 
But that was the way Doug Woog was. He was definitely part of that era and he was a people person. You know, I, I posted the picture. You and I were on the same flight to Philadelphia in 2014. Doug got up to use the bathroom and this is a flight full of gopher fans, parents, all that. I don't think he made it back to his seat before the flight attendant said, you know, time to sit down and buckle up, we're landing, because he just loved interacting with fans. You know, he loved telling hockey stories. Uh, Bob Motzko talked about that this week as a young coach. You know, you, you couldn't walk past Doug in the hallway without him grabbing a whiteboard and diagramming a drill or, or you know, getting you into some bigger hockey conversation. He was also so successful. And I, I've been trying to articulate, Jess, to to go back to the top of uh, this podcast, because I don't think that people who are probably in their 20s now or so can understand what go, what go for hockey meant at that time as well, where it was the show in town, sure. where where their games were on cable every Friday and Saturday night, not just in the metro, but throughout the entire state, where there was, you know, I'm not trying to insinuate now that Bob Motzko does not have pressure. He definitely does. Absolutely. But with Doug and and when the North Stars left especially, he had the show in town. Right. And so the pressure. And, the, and the, keep in mind the timing too. Yes. The North Stars left the year that the new Mariucci Arena opened. Exactly. So we don't have an NHL team. The 15,000-seat arena out in Bloomington is getting torn down. But there's this brand spanking new 10,000-seat hockey palace and you've got a team that's going to win 75% of its games, if not more. I mean, you couldn't buy a ticket for a long time there. And people were now would say, Hockey Palace, what are you talking about? It was, back then, a, a Hockey Palace. Absolutely state-of-the-art. It was gorgeous. So, And it's still not that bad. I oh, mean, no, they, no. they've done a lot of things to keep no, it up. but we've now got the X, and the X is yeah. 20 years in. It's and gorgeous. And you've got Ralph Engelstad Arena, and exactly. it has been eclipsed and, somewhat in the college hockey world. But And also... From the day that the new Mariucci opened its doors for a long time, you couldn't get in. Like, getting tickets on the street. Jess, tickets on the street during the Wooger's heyday were, if you were playing St. Cloud State, probably 100 bucks. I had an alumnus tell me, Wisconsin came to town, you sold your tickets for 400 bucks a pop. Yeah. I mean, no lie, for a college hockey And they ticket. were moving those games to, at one time, Met Center. Yep. At one time, Target, Target, Target Center. Center. Yep. God help us, I don't know why. But yeah, that, that was... So the whole thing back then... Here's, here's what a draw playing the Gophers so was. Here's, here's what a draw playing Doug Woo's Gophers was. St. Cloud State moved one of their home games to Target Center, knowing that you could sell out Target Center with you know, five 6,000 Husky fans, and the rest would be Gopher fans, and they don't care where the money's coming from, you know, buy a ticket. I mean, that's what a big deal Gopher hockey was in that era. Uh, not only that that era where we didn't have an NHL team that seven, eight years or whatever it was. But, but prior to that, you know, the old Mariucci arena, that was a big deal. And again, people like winners, you know, I always talk about absolutely Wisconsin 30 years ago, Wisconsin hockey was the biggest thing in the state. Why? Because everybody else in the state stunk. You know, mm -hmm. the Packers had been bad for 20 years. The, the Badger basketball was nothing. Badger football was nothing. The Brewers were okay. The Bucks were okay. Badger hockey won 75% of its games. So people turned out in and, droves to watch Badger hockey. It was the same thing here. And played in the Dane County Coliseum, which right. was a rundown dump. But, but it was a barn. It was a glorious hockey barn. Biggest rink in college hockey at the time, though. Yeah, 8,600 exactly. seats. Nobody, nobody exactly. fathomed that you could sell 8,600 seats. But the Badgers would sell out every game. The Gophers would sell out every game. And fans traveled 
I mean, it was like the circus came to town whenever Wisconsin or Minnesota was playing on the road. Uh, going to UMD, you hated it because here's all these smug Twin Cityans coming up telling us, you know, how we should do things because we're the Gophers. We're better, you know. <laughs> you, you hated that stuff, but that made it part of the fun. It was the Yankees, you know. It was the it was the team that everybody hated, but you had to respect them because of uh, what they did on the ice. So go way back and t- tell me, when was the first time that you crossed paths with Doug Woog? He was a brand-new coach, uh, 85, 86, in that range. And I crossed paths with him fortuitously because of people I knew. I grew up in Warroad. Uh, a, a real good player, a kid year, a year younger than me, who everybody wanted, was named Larry Olam. Yeah, I've Larry was him. being heavily recruited by the Gophers. I and, might have seen him play once or twice. Yeah, yeah. Not a bad player. No. Mr. Hockey winner, all that. So, uh, funny story. We... Uh, Warroad's down here for a couple of high school games. I think we played St. Paul Johnson or something like that. Gophers have a Saturday afternoon game against Wisconsin at the old Mariucci. So our coach gets us a block of tickets. We show up at the rink. Now, this is, I thought everybody had this experience. We show up at the rink, our team shows up, and there's Doug Woog waiting for the Warroad team to greet them. Hey, Larry Olam, come on over here. I want to say hi. Turns out we were short one ticket, believe it or not. And Woog says, Oh, Larry, just come with me. I'll, t- I'll get you in. <laughs> Wow. Sure enough, sure enough. Larry signs with the Gophers. He's a, a four-year letter winner there. He's still the all-time assist leader. So you know, good for him. Larry was a hell of a player. Yep. So then you you started to cover Woog when I started to cover Woog in the ninety one ninety two season. I graduated from UMD into a lousy economy. Nobody could find any jobs. I decided to go back and do some graduate work in journalism at the University of Minnesota. I walked into the Minnesota Daily offices and said, I've covered college hockey the last three years. Do you have anybody to write about the Gophers? I got the beat. And, uh, I, and I had known Doug Woog. I had interacted with him as a, when I was a student reporter in Duluth. Always friendly. Always one of those guys that would call you back, take the time. Again, just loved interacting with people. Right. Uh, you know, I got to be pretty good friends with him covering the team, went from that to places like Minnesota Hockey Magazine where I've worked over the years. So I knew Doug Woog very well um, f- during pretty much his entire time with the Gophers. In addition to that, okay, after he's, he's done, you know, a lot of interaction that way. Again, because of the people I know, Doug's granddaughters and my daughter are about the same age. Mm-hmm. They played on the same hockey team, same soccer team. So I'd go to the rink to watch my daughter's practice, and Doug Woog's sitting there. I'd sit next to him, and you'd always get a fantastic uh, hockey story and a great way to pass the time. So we remained friends uh, up until his death, basically. Give me your favorite one or two Woog hockey stories that you either saw or he told you. <laughs> Because I think most of them were actually probably pretty clean, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, Wooger wasn't one of these old baseball guys telling crusty stories. But the man, he did have a story for everything. Uh, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you the one. The one time I saw him react angrily, and, and that was very rare. I mean, always seemed to, you know, the, the quote Larry Olam gave me about him was, any day he came to the rink was a good day. Fair to say he was fiery but not angry. Is that fair? True. Because he, fi- he, he was very competitive. He was fiery. He had an ego, definitely. Yep. You know, he, he uh, you know, uh, let me just back up before I tell you a story. Sure. Part of it was this, and, and I talked to Doug about this a couple years ago for a story I did. 1985, the Gophers decide they're going to fire Brad Buto. Brad Buto has been there five or six years. He can't win a national championship. We have to make a change. You know, you've got all this talent. And keep in mind, Minnesota had two Division One teams at the time. So you were getting the absolute cream of the crop of every great player that came out of Minnesota was either going to go, you know, most of them to Minnesota, maybe a few here and there going to Wisconsin or Dakota. But for the most part, you had your pick of the best players in the state. And Brad Buto did not win a national title with those guys. Paul Geel, the athletic director at the time, said, we need to make a change. Okay? Okay. Plan A. 
Herb Brooks is leaving the New York Rangers. He's going to come back, and he's going to be the gopher coach again. And Doug Woog, who's a very successful coach at South St. Paul High School, is going to be Herb's assistant. Doug said, we had it all set. We, we had it agreed to. Okay. Herb, at the last minute, does something flaky like he was known to do and, and decides to go to Switzerland or someplace like that and, and coach there. I, I can't remember what job he took. But he bailed. He bailed. Okay. Second choice, Doug Woog? No. Second choice is Mark, Mike Sertich who was coaching Minnesota Duluth at the time, yep. who had taken a program that had never been better than even competitive and suddenly taken them to three straight NCAA tournaments, two straight Frozen Fours, two straight WCHA titles, to the brink of winning a national title. Mike Sertich is the hottest coach in college hockey, and he's a Minnesota guy. Yep. So he comes down, he interviews, they offer him the job, and Mike Sertich told me later, you know, it was a, one of those things where he had to kind of search within his heart and thought I would be the, he would have been the first non-Minnesota graduate to coach the Gophers. He was happy in Duluth. He, you know, had built that kind of persona of being the northern Minnesota guy. He wasn't ready to make that move. So Mike Sertich turns them down. Third choice, plan C, is Doug Woog, who's, again, a very successful high school coach. But Doug jokingly, maybe not so jokingly, told me, I wouldn't have hired me at the time. You know, I, I saw said, that quote. That was really interesting. He, he hadn't coached beyond high school hockey. He had been an assistant coach on the 1984 Olympic team. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, he gets Which, off by the, the way, job. Things, things didn't go so well. I'm no, sorry, Abel. No, no, not so well. You know, with a, with a team that you look back at, you know, Chris Chelios and, and LaFontaine. LaFontaine and some really good players. And you talk about high expectations. I joked with Lou Vero, who was the head coach of that team once. I said it was unfair to you because no team has ever had higher expectations than the 1984 U.S. Olympic team after what had happened sure. in 1980. But anyway, so Doug Wu gets the job, and that was always kind of stuck in his head. You know, he said he heard people on the East Coast say, what's Minnesota doing? How can, how can they bring in this guy with no experience? Every time he beat an Eastern team, every time he went to a Frozen Four, and keep in mind they went to four consecutive Frozen Fours his first four years on the job, yep. don't think that that didn't mean something to, to the ego that he had to say, hey, maybe I do know a little bit about this game. Absolutely. So here's my story. Yeah. The, the, one, the one time I ever remember getting kind of snapped at by Doug Woog, and this will show just kind of the fieriness of him. That year I covered the Gophers for the Minnesota Daily, 91-92. They wound up winning the WCHA. Starting on about January 5th, they go on, I want to say, about a 12-game winning streak. I mean, they're the hottest team in the country. They're ranked number one. They just simply cannot be beat. They go into Wisconsin. Now it's, now it's middle of February. They win on Friday night. Now the winning streak has hit you know, 12, 13, 14 games, something along those lines. I don't have the exact numbers. Saturday night, the Badgers play the game of their life, packed house, great atmosphere. The Badgers win the game. And afterwards... Friendly, friendly young cub reporter, I say to Doug Woog, yep. after winning so many games in a row, was this kind of a wake-up call for your team? And he looked, looked me in the eyes and said, and I, I, won't use, I won't use the word he said, but he said, yep. I don't know who the F you think was sleeping. <laughs> like, yep. like, we were playing you know, pretty well. I saw that same guy one time. Yep. I was at the student station. I kid you not. 87, 88, 88, 89, my freshman year, I think, at the U. Same thing happened. Something happened. There was a breakdown defensively or something. And I thought I saw it clearly, right? Because, you know, guys like us, we know our puck, right? So I asked Doug about it sort of authoritatively like I knew what had happened. And he, like, looked at me like I had three heads. <laughs> and he's like, no, that's not what happened yep. at all. But, and he, but he snapped. But not like... It was more like you're a kid. You have no idea what you're saying. So, and you know, and I think 
he was very much sort of a teacher type of guy too. Sure. sure. So like I, I think as as we as we progressed in age, he didn't look at us the same way. But the same type of thing happened where he was like, you have no idea what you're talking about. You talk about being a teacher. I, and you I, felt about that small. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like you felt like and an now, idiot. again, this being that era, this was in Madison. Yep. 25 minutes later at a pizza place, he came over and apologized and said, hey, you know, sorry I snapped. I just wasn't prepared for that question. And everything was fine. Right. But it was a kind of a telling moment that you just you saw that that little flash in him that uh, that. That's you know, what I'm saying is there was a competitive air to him. I mean, that's why he was so good. Yeah. In sports. Yeah. You know, at at his size, you don't become a standout, what, football player in high school, hockey player, and, and then become an All-American in the 1960s for the Gophers to, at that size by not being fiery as hell. And I didn't know this until recently as part of the uh, – since he passed away, some of the retrospectives we've seen <laughs> – Good football player at South St. Paul, good hockey player at South St. Paul. Murray Warmath and John Mariucci both offered him scholarships. Really? And he said he went to, uh, to met with the football guys and is surrounded by Carl Eller and Bobby Bell and these towering, massive guys and thought, I don't fit in with this crowd. He was right about that. That yeah. was a good call and, on his and, part. And he decided the smarter route for him would be to play hockey. And, you know, you look at where he wound up in his career, it was certainly the, the better plan. Now, you talk about him being a teacher. The great story I heard two days ago from Bob Motzko. Bob Motzko is a young coach. Okay, He's an assistant at St. Cloud State. He's just graduated from St. Cloud State. He's working as an assistant coach. Middle of the season, so about this time of year, sure. the North Iowa Huskies of the USHL down in Mason City, they fire their coach. They call up Herb Brooks. Hey, we need a coach who could come in and, and do this job. They tap Bob Motzko to come in midseason. And he says, okay, I know hockey. I've played hockey, all that. I don't have any drills. I don't know how to run a practice because I've never had to do it before. I've always wow. been an assistant coach. Sure. So he said he's living in Mason City, Iowa, which is two hours from here, roughly. Yeah. yeah. Tuesday and Thursday is when high school hockey teams play games in Minnesota. So he said on Tuesday, I would run a practice in the morning in Mason City. I would hop in my car. One o'clock, I would walk into the old Mariucci Arena, and I'd sit in the top row of the stands and watch what the Gophers were doing, and I'd write down all their drills. He said after three, four days, and then he said, then I'd go to a high school hockey game, then I'd drive back to Mason City. Did this twice a week. After three, four practices of him sitting up there, Woog crawls up to where he's sitting in the stands with his skates still on and says, I've seen you before. How do I know you? Motzko introduces himself. He says, I just need some drills. I'm coaching North Iowa, yada, yada. Sure. He said from that moment on, he said, every time I talked to Doug Woog, there would be a new drill. There would be a conversation. If there was a whiteboard, he would diagram something out that I would have to do. Now, the other story uh, on the same lines, Motzko tells, is they go to a USA Hockey Festival maybe like a year later in East Lansing, Michigan. He said they do stuff on the ice. Inevitably, you wind up at a pizza place afterwards. They start talking about drills. It's Motzko. It's Woog. It's a couple other coaches. And Woog starts grabbing cocktail napkins and diagramming a drill on the cocktail napkin. And then he would slide it off to the side, and he would grab another cocktail napkin and diagram another drill. Motzko says every time he did that, I'd stuff the, the old napkin in my pocket. I got back to my hotel room. I had 50 new drills I could do with my team. <laughs> That's just the way Doug Woog was. He loved the tactical part of the game. And you look at his hockey career, his hockey coaching career. In the 1970s, he coached the St. Paul Vulcans of the USHL. They were the Minnesota Junior Stars, then they became the Vulcans. Mm-hmm. Bob Motzko tells people, and, and I've heard this before, this was like the Charlestown Chiefs 
I mean, it was drop the gloves, nasty, knockdown, drag out hockey. There was fighting back then in junior hockey. There was a lot of fighting back then in junior hockey. I mean, it was a rough, rough league. He goes from successfully coaching that style, winning a couple national championships at that level. If you remember his gopher teams, I mean, it was run the puck up ice, fire wagon hockey. It was, yes. you know, high, to- high octane offense. You had Rob Stauber back there if you needed some defense, but you would score six, eight goals a game. It was what Penn State is now. So the fact that he had that kind of diversity in his coaching career and his coaching ability was pretty amazing, too. 1989, Jess Myers, St. Paul Civic Center, Harvard National Championship game. How much did that stick with Doug in your conversations with him? Because that was, you know, 14 years, Frozen Fours galore, right? Yep. The Gophers went to a ton of Frozen Fours, won WCHA regular season titles. They won the Broadmoor Trophy, the playoff titles. The one thing he didn't have, but by the time that he was replaced by Lucia in, what, 1999, if I'm not mistaken, correct, was a championship. And he came one clink of the pipe away in downtown St. Paul from ha- having that in that game against a very good Harvard team. And that was one of those moments, too, being in that arena. That was the first Frozen Four I attended. I've been to 20. Was it really your first? That was my first. And you've been to uh, 27 now. And consecutively, you've been to? Uh, about 10 consecutively. Wow. I missed the last one in Detroit. I'm going this year. It's in Detroit. I, I didn't go to Ford Field. And people tell me if you're going to miss one, that was a good one to miss. They're, they're in Little Caesars where the Red Wings are in Little Caesars okay. Arena, which So is, we're not going to have a repeat of the idea no, no, to play it in a they've, stadium. They've, okay. they've dropped that idea. Good. Um, I digress. Go ahead. So... Everything just kind of seemed preordained for that Gopher team. They were very good. They'd won the WCHA a couple years in a row. They're playing essentially on home ice. I was in that building that night. There were 15,000-plus fans in there, and if there were 100 Harvard fans, they were quiet and, and you know, uh, sitting on their hands or whatever. And, and you know, yeah. take nothing away from Harvard. They had a good fan base there. They had their band there. I remember the, the chant going up at one point in the arena, what's a crimson, was the, was the fans asking. Yeah. Good way to kind of tease Harvard. but So Scarta hits the pipe. Uh, Ed Crayer, of all people, who nobody ever heard of before or since, wins it in overtime for Harvard. Yep. And Doug Wu, typical to his kind of sense of humor and his, his way to make a, a little bit of light of everything, his line after the game that Sports Illustrated famously quoted was, don't compare me to Bud Grant. He's taller and a lot richer than me. You know, again, another famed Minnesota coach who the, the one thing that eluded him was, was winning the big one. Sure. Um, but when you talk to Woog 20 years later about that, about you know low moment of your career, high moment of your career, where does it rank? And he talked about the big picture of his career, that he coached for 14 years. He retired as the Gophers' all-time winningest coach. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he you know, for the most part, did things right. There were a few things with the NCAA where he ran afoul of just a, a couple. The things. McAlpine story is hilarious. The, the, the McAlpine story is the famous one where the he, money in the hat. he gave a player money. You know, It was known forever as the Doug Wu hat trick. <laughs> still in the hat. I mean, it's, yeah. it's still a good story. But for the most part, you know, it wasn't a program where right. you saw titles taken away or you saw major suspensions or anything like sure. that. For the most part, he ran a, a clean program. He said, I like to think that people can look at the big picture of my career and not focus on one guy hitting a pipe and, and all of that. So, right. so I, I, I think people did that. This is, amazes me, too, though. When you think about 99, so Doug Woog averaged 28 wins a year. That just blows me away. When you think that a 20-win season in college hockey is kind of the benchmark. If you have a 20-win season, that's a good season. He averaged nearly 30 wins a year. Wow. 
uh, over the course of 14 years, and his last two seasons were sub-500. Right. And that was eventually what caused them to make a change uh, was the fact that he missed the NCAA tournament two years in a row and had sub-500 years, and the thought was, you know, it just just wasn't there for him. Yep. So he uh, resigns. You know, under I, I don't, and I don't know what the proper term was. He's removed from the job, and it was. I remember the press conference. It was tearful and typical to Woog's nature. I think it was Mark Deanhart was the athletic director at the time. He gets up and starts the press conference by announcing, "We are going to make a change at the top of our hockey program. We want to thank Doug Woog for his contributions and everything." And they let Woog speak. Typical to his nature, his first line is, "I was hoping Mark let me go first. I was just going to announce a three-year extension." <laughs> And, and then but that was Woog. Yeah, but that was Woog. That's and, what made, and, yeah. and it went from that to there were some tearful moments. Sure. I mean, it was very emotional for him because you talk about a guy who is a gopher through and through. But here's what amazed me, too. Okay, picture this scenario. A couple years ago, Tracy Clays is the gopher football coach. He gets fired. How about if FSN turns around and says, we're going to have Tracy Clays be the color commentator next year on gopher football broadcast? Yep. People would think that's crazy. Yeah. FSN or whatever it was at the time, Midwest Sports Channel or whatever it was called, announces the next year Doug Woog is going to be the color commentator for Gopher Hockey. My immediate thought is, is this is a good idea for a guy who's just been removed from the job? And then you heard him on air with Frank Mazzacco, and he was perfect. Mm-hmm. I mean, just a great— Oh, he was born for that job. Yeah, great As much as he was game. born to coach, he was born for— Sen- Yeah, sense of humor. I mean, all of yeah, it. Yeah, he and- always had a comment. The quip. <laughs> yeah. He always had the woo quip. And Frank, God bless him, Frank gets that— Frank doesn't need to be the star, which lots of play-by-play guys do. Right. So he just let Doug go, and Doug was, yeah, that was a great the, run. They the, were hilarious the together. The were, were fantastic. They were fantastic, and yeah. sometimes they were discombobulated, but you didn't care. <laughs> and he was great. And um, to Lucia's credit, he signed off on that, too, yes. which he didn't have to. Right. It would have been very e- easy to say, well, let's give this three years while I get this established. And he didn't. But no, Doug, I always thought Doug was perfect for the booth because, yeah, the the Wooger's way and and plus fans loved him. Absolutely. He was the perfect conduit to go, you know, go for hockey was Doug up in the booth. And again, to go back at that time, what people now are going to start to forget is that was appointment TV Friday and Saturday night. You know, it's not like now Absolutely, we're you're yeah. like, are they on yeah. Big Ten Network tonight, or it might, they might be on? You know, what time are they on? That's that's one of the great complaints in the in the new world of college hockey that we hear from Gopher fans is you can't find the games on TV. Well, as a point of fact, more more games than ever are on TV. Yes, it's just they're not going to be on FSN every Friday and Saturday like clockwork, like they used to be. Yes, and they used to be on throughout the state on the same channel. And 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 don't think that didn't drive a few uh, coaches from other schools in oh, this state crazy. It should have <laughs> that, that the fact that every cable system in the state carried the Gophers and not the Bulldogs, the ba- the Beavers, well, and when the Mavericks anywhere, right? Yeah. If you went to Duluth or you went to St. Cloud to get Nate Schmidt, you could tell mom, dad, grandma, and grandpa if you want to see your kid play. Right. He's going to be on MSC at that time or FSN at that time at 7 o'clock on Friday. And I don't care where in the state you are, you're going to see it. Right. And I'm sure it drove Duluth and all those schools nuts. And it should have. But it was the advantage. and But that's what made that program also the pressure of that, that program at the time. If Motsko <clears throat> doesn't win a national championship now, it's going to be disappointing, I think. Like to Absolutely. Him. But I don't think there's a fan base now that is sitting there or – if there is, it's very small. That's sitting there being like, you got to win a national championship, right? I remember year after year. Well, they've proven in the past six, seven years, uh, Gopher fan base has proven they 
could not give a care about winning a Big Ten title because Dong Chia won like four or five of those in a row and yes. didn't even move the needle on whether fans wanted him But when Scarta hit that post, that was traumatic. Absolutely. And we all, I think we all thought they'll win one in the next couple of years. Right. Well, and you that's think, why was, think of that point in Wook's career. He'd been there four years. Yes. He'd been to the Frozen Four four times. Yes. He'd come within a post of winning a national championship. They were the perennial favorites in the WCHA alongside maybe Wisconsin or North Dakota. But the North Dakota program at that point was kind of on the downslide. Yeah. Uh, there was no, no – nobody could have foreseen what Colorado College would become in the 1990s. So the thought was this is going to be the Yankees of college hockey forever. And the element we haven't even talked about in all of this – he wouldn't recruit a guy outside of the state of Minnesota. Which I wanted to ask you about. Yeah, I mean, we can get into that. And that, and that became, it felt like there was a time that that had a lot of pride behind it. Yes. Yes, don't recruit outside the state. It and, became and a bit became of an albatross. It became a bit of an albatross for him, I think. And it was a big deal. Do you in, think that was, in retrospect now, his greatest mistake, eventually? I think there was a time where it worked. But do you think continuing that into the 90s, because things did begin to change. Yeah. Do you think that became a mistake? Let me put it this way, because you're a longtime Vikings guy, as I am. It was like Pecos River. Okay. It was an, a, an interesting idea. It was an innovative idea. It got a lot of attention. It ultimately probably didn't work. But if it would have worked, it would have you know, changed college hockey forever, I think. And, and I say it didn't work. I mean, keep in mind, he won a heck of a lot of hockey yeah, games. Yeah, just didn't get a championship. Hung a lot of banners. Absolutely. Just didn't win the, the last game in April. So, or end of March, as it was at that point in, in college hockey. Um, so it was a valiant effort. But I will say this. 1995, the Frozen Four is in Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, Providence Journal, the, the big paper out there, their, their version of Pat Royce does a column before the tournament about Doug Woog won't recru- recruit guys outside of the state of Minnesota. And how cool is that? I mean, it was really looked upon in some areas of the country like, Wow, that's amazing. Like, imagine Texas football having only Texans on the team. Right. Um, I've heard legendary stories about the Mississippi team that Archie Manning won a national championship back when, when he was the quarterback for Ole Miss was something like 90% Mississippi kids. And that's, to this day, the Mississippi sports fan can still name the starting 11 on that team because it was such a big deal that, you know, I saw these guys play in the state tournament last year. Now, this year, they're going to play for the Gophers. It was just that natural pipeline that we don't really have anymore. So that, that whole group, too, of coaches from the Woogera, um, Sauer at Wisconsin, just to just expand this beyond Doug, how special – was that too because obviously guys like that are now gone and i you know bob mosco strikes me as a guy who definitely has character to him like Absolutely. if he wanted to if he wanted to unleash i'm a character he could but it's 2019 and coaches just don't now how special was the, the group that you talk about where they'd be at campus pizza or something after a game and i mean this is distinguished coaches like these guys aren't just constantly yucking it up for instance they were really a really well-respected group of coaches how special was that? Because I don't think that's ever coming back. The one that doesn't strike me as cyclical, Jess. The one comment I'll make on that, and and I absolutely think you're right, is that you know that's an era that we we probably won't see again. But the one comment I'll make on that, uh, they instituted something uh, when Doug Woog was there under the uh, called the College Hockey Showcase, which was held over Thanksgiving, and it was Michigan, Michigan State, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. Keep in mind they were in two different conferences at the time, but they had a long time ago been in the WCHA all all four of them, and they were obviously all four 
big name Big Ten schools. Mm-hmm. They started a, a Thanksgiving weekend tournament. It was held at Joe Louis Arena a few times. It was held at the St. Paul Civic Center a few times. It was held at the Bradley Center in Milwaukee a few times where those four teams would get together and play. Frank Mazzocco tells the story. The, the first time it was held here in Minnesota, they used to have the Blue Line Club meeting on, on Friday afternoon at, at Jack's Cafe. I went to a few of those. Those are, you know, fantastic. I, and I missed those because they were always just such a, a great gathering of college hockey people. So the Blue Line Club meeting before the first one of these on a, on a Friday afternoon at Jack's Cafe is Ron Mason from Michigan State, Red Berenson from Michigan, Jeff Sauer from Wisconsin, Doug Woog from Minnesota. Each of them got up and spoke. Sadly, Red Berenson's the only one that's still with us. Um, and Frank's, Frank Mazzocco said he remembers thinking to himself, soak this in because this is pretty cool to have these four guys in one room and de- to have a gathering like that. And I really think that era is gone. It, it, it's sad. I mean, you know, every uh, every era has its characters like that. Jerry York is still coaching at, at Boston College and, and probably will be forever. You know, Jack Parker at Boston University was part of that group. Obviously, Mike Sertich was, was one who always had a quip and, you know, always seemed to put on a show whenever he would come to the Twin Cities. I mean, just some really legendary people. But I, I truly think that era is gone in the, you know, amount of pressure that's on these coaches, the amount they're being paid now. And just, again, social media has made uh put put a lot of fear in a lot of people about being seen in public doing things that aren't uh yeah. you know quote unquote responsible. And sports are very corporate now. Absolutely. College sports too. Yep. They they become so corporate and so restrictive to to me where players and coaches don't like to show personality unless they're really characters which there aren't that many left. Um that, that, you know, that's, yeah, there, there's been talk about this on Twitter and places like that. That's kind of a uh, contradiction in the modern sports media too is that we complain that co- coaches are too corporate or too prepared, all that, and then one of them says something off the cuff and they get tattooed for it or right. you know, it, they, they get butchered for it and, and get ripped in the media. So it's like we want them to be candid, but then when they are, it, they, they get in trouble for it. So. Yeah, they just don't it, – it, the one thing that I could see working but guys don't like to do now is just have fun though. Yeah. Like, you don't have to say something off the cuff that's controversial. Wu just always had quips. Yeah. Like, he said a lot of stuff that would have been great for Twitter, hilariously funny, but wouldn't have got him in trouble. And that's sort of the thing that coaches now just really guard against. I, but but it's because the whole thing, the whole, you know, I mean, because now we're in an era of premium seating and all, you know, there's just a, so many, there's so many more walls uh, put up. And I think that Twitter is part of the reason, but I think it goes Beyond that, I think we're in an era now where people in sports, coaches, players don't really like to show you much. They just don't want to. Sure, sure. And yes, Twitter, if it gets tweeted that you're doing something or said something controversial, I I get that. So last thing. I I was going to say quick, by the way. Go ahead. If people have a chance, go to Gopher Puck Live to their website because they have a page of the Woogisms. We talked about a little bit. Some of of just the the crazy off the cup. Some of them they have audio. Some of them they just have quotes written down. But, you know, things like – Gopher Puck Live. Gopher Puck Live. Uh, And they've they've done a great job of kind of curating some of these these great, you know, off the cuff Doug Woog things that he said on air. One of my favorites, they're playing a playoff series in Mankato. This is mid-2000s. Place is absolutely packed. It's maybe half Gopher fans, half Maverick fans. It's in overtime. Building is going crazy, and Doug Woog says on air, everybody in this entire building is standing except for the people in wheelchairs. I remember that. <laughs> it was a Woogism. Yeah, it was a Woogism. You know, it, it was the truth. It, you know, <laughs> that was just something he would throw out there. Okay, in 10 years, if, if somebody who didn't meet or know Woog 
approaches you and asks you to describe him for that person, how how would you describe Doug? I would describe him as happy. Just always, you know, again, every day seemed to be a good day. And, you know, he would be fiery with officials sometimes and he could lose his temper on the bench. But after the game, he would have something good to say for the most part. <laughs> he uh, He had the advantage of having some very good teams. And when modern Gopher hockey fans say, I miss the WCHA, I always say, you don't miss the WCHA, you miss the winning. Yep. You, you miss the fact that Alaska Anchorage and Michigan Tech and Colorado College, back when Colorado College was bad, were going to come to town six games a year, and you could buy a ticket and go to the rink knowing you were going to see a win. And in some of those games where they'd be up by a lot in the third period, where there wasn't a lot of coaching going on, Doug Woog would deliver a line to open up the press conference after the game that was always dynamite. And it dawned on me, he's got 10 minutes to think up something, some good quip to say, because he's got nothing to worry about in the third period. <laughs> yep. He, the he gears say, are turning. He would say, you know, I, I put these three guys who were all like high penalty minute guys. He said, I put them all on one line. I put them out there for the last two shifts because I figured they couldn't all get penalties on the same shift, you know, something like that yep. that would make everybody laugh. And, and you know, you know, he had time to prepare that. So uh, I will just remember him as being happy, friendly, always having a hockey story. And uh, and he was a winner. He won a lot of games. He did. He did. You know, it's 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 fun to have a, a mascot, a jokey coach like that. But um, he won. He he could recruit and he could win. And that was uh, what his legacy will be. The fact that they named the rink after him in his hometown. You know, that'll stand forever. Uh, good family man. Hey, you know, one little note on that. In in talking to him, you know, grew up in South St. Paul. Went to the University of Minnesota. Got a coaching job in, in South St. Paul. Got a coaching job in St. Paul. Got a coaching another coaching job in South St. Paul. Got a coaching job in Minneapolis. That was his career. He said, people have told Jan and I, his wife, uh, we have great kids. They're three children, Steve, Danny, and Amy. He said, we do have great kids. And one of the reasons for that is we never had to move. Yeah. He, he, he got approached by Colorado College. He got approached by other jobs in other parts of the country. But he said, for the most part, I was home every night. We had dinner together. He said he was very blessed that he never had to pack up and move his family. The fact that they could be here, that they could be the consummate kind of Minnesota family, and, and that meant a lot. Great stuff, Jess. Thanks much. Good to talk to you. All right.